Hi, this is Diana Larson. And before we get to episode 22, I just want to remind you that Agile Coach Camp West Coast U.S. is coming up in April, and I'm going to be there, and I hope to see you all there, too. Welcome to the Agile Coffee Podcast. This is episode 22. And once again, I am joined by my friends Larry Lawhead. Good morning. Dr. Dave Cornelius. Good morning. And Dale Ellis. I'm glad to be back. We've all got Twitter handles, uh, except for Larry, who goes by email, lawhead5 at hotmail. Dr. Dave goes at Dr. Dave Info, all one word on Twitter. And Dale is the digital Dale on Twitter. You can reach me, Vic Bonacci, at Agile Coffee. Good to have you guys. So before we get started, I did want to say that there's a few events still coming up uh, in early March. So just a few weeks away, we've got Scrum Day Orange County. You can find out more information about Scrum Day OC at scrumdayoc.com. Conveniently enough, uh, it's going to be March 13th, which is a Friday, and it will be held in Tustin, California. So really good to have local events because it um, brings the community together and, and gets us to you know reach out, build our network, and, and share experiences. Also coming up, we have the Agile Coach Camp. Are you guys signed up for that? Are you coming along to our Agile Coach yeah, Camp? Yeah, I will. Good, good. Well, I'm signed up. Sign up as a participant and also sign up as a sponsor. We love you for signing up as a sponsor. So that's um, that's right around the corner. That's April 10th through 12th here in Irvine, California. For more information on the Coach Camp, you can go to agilegathering.com. We've got a number of cards in front of us today. Uh, this is exciting. It looks like it's going to be a great discussion with the cards that I'm looking at. Um, let's go around the room and have everyone just read off what cards you have. Larry, why don't we start with you, and we'll go around that way. Yeah, I've been in a, in a retrospective mood recently, and what makes a good scrum coach? We had a good talk about that just before we started recording, and I thought that'd be interesting to talk about that a bit more. Well, I have two cards. Uh, the first one is, how do you think practicing Agile or Lean changes people? Hmm. Uh, this comes from a research that I did at uh, Agile SoCal Open, uh, in 2014. And so that's always an interesting topic to see how behaviors are changed. The other one is uh, looking at the scrum master and who is the leader of getting things done through people. And task-driven versus relationship-driven, where's the balance? Nice, nice. Uh, Dale, what have you got there in front of you? Uh wanted to talk about story mapping and the new book Good. by Jeff Patton. I just completed Good. that, so I thought that was valuable. The other thing I wanted to talk about was techniques for remote retros. Uh, oh, interesting. Techniques for teams that are wholly or partially remote, and what are some good retrospective techniques? Very nice. I have a card on a road mapping exercise. Actually, it was a series of exercises at the office. We've been um, going through the road mapping process for, for the coming year. Um, and I coordinated a couple of meetings. I used a lean coffee format for one and then uh, a six stinking hats exercise for another, and I thought it worked out really well, and all the participants were quite surprised. They hadn't done either of those before. Another card I have is 
coaching circles and mastermind groups. So coaching circles have been around in Agile for quite a while. Um, I'm thinking about uh, there's one that OutFormations is putting together, and it's starting up here in the next week or so. Um, but, I mean, I've also been interested in mastermind groups, which are more geared toward entrepreneurs, not necessarily Agile coaches. However, I think there's a bit of an overlap, and I wanted to talk about both of those. We also have a question that came from the Twitterverse. Uh, Jason Little, at Jason Little, says, Why are we still failing with Agile? We've got over 256,000 CSMs out there. What gives? So maybe we can discuss that as well. All right, the way Lean Coffee works is that we've got our cards, and we've just introduced our topics. We are now going to give ourselves three votes each and do some dot voting on the cards. We will then stack those in a priority order, put them in a personal Kanban board on our table, and move them from the to-do column into the discussing column one at a time. And after our time box of five minutes is uh, expired, we'll do a Roman vote around the table and just see if we want to continue, and we'll add on another three minutes or so. After that gets expired, we'll move it to the done column and then move into the next topic. So three votes each. Gentlemen, let's go ahead and vote. Get your dots on. Get your dots on. Three votes each. What are you again? You had some good Okay. Our first topic today, Dr. Dave, it's yours. How do you think practicing Agile and Lean changes people? Well, I've given this some thought and in some research that I did in the fall at um, the Agile SoCal Open. Mm-hmm. And, and the question came up because when you think of the, the principles of, of agility, of transparency, inspect, adapt, empiricism, you know, how is that really affecting behavior that in, in leaders and as well as the team? And then you think of the other principles of um, lean, respect for people, eliminate waste, deliver fast, optimize the whole. And I'm just naming just a few uh, of these different principles that really are geared to a changing the way we act and behave. And I'm always curious to see how teams are maturing and how leaders are maturing through the process uh, of, of building software or building a product in, in general. And I am not sh- completely sure exactly how it, it changes people, but I know for myself personally that I'm a little kinder. Hmm. I'm a little bit more thoughtful. Um, I'm a bit more considerate in, in, in terms of how do I go about treating people and, and make sure that there's a great level of respect for them and to always empower them in whatever way that, that we can? So I am all, I'm curious to get feedback and, and insights into how is this really changing people? Is it really making a difference that we have identified things uh, 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 as to how we want to be transparent because, you, you know, people control and, and have power by making sure that they hide information or to keep all, all of that information to themselves and never share it with anyone else. And it, it's really walking through that process from beginning to end and across the organization and how is this really being communicated and, and what type of change management practices are we using to make sure that there is adoption, that we are assessing, that we understand um, the cultural shifts that we have to, that has to take place within the organization. So I am open this up for discussion. I like to give people my broad perspective. And with the panel here, uh, jump on in. I mean, what's your thoughts? Uh, give us some feedback about that. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking, you know, you could talk about personal change and you could talk about in one individual, yourself, um, kind of be the change that you want to see. I think Gandhi or Gandhi, was yes. talking about that, right? That yeah. dude. Um, and then there's um, changes in your team members going through their own changes and then changes at the organizational level, too, and, and what has to take place there. Um, my first thoughts go back to um, kind of some of the scrum values or, or even the agile values, but um, the ideas of transparency and introspection and, and being able to adapt. Um, those are things that I feel have been kind of nascent in my own personality for so long, and, and maybe I've used them um, at the workplace or not, but certainly when I've started practicing Scrum and Agile, those were brought out. It's like you need to promote this, so you have to be that change uh, that you want to see take place. Um, so has it changed me? It's probably made me more aware of these characteristics, and it's emboldened me to um, to take on and be an example. Um, and by taking those risks, I've taken other types of risks. I can't think of anything specific right now necessarily, but um, it's made me kind of emboldened across my, my personality, if that makes any sense, uh, outside of the workplace. Certainly. I, one of the areas that I also thought of as, as you were speaking is, how do we handle feedback? And sometimes you know, feedback would be brutal. Oh, don't 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 <laughs> ah, don't bruise me up too much. But mm-hmm. how do we ha- how do we handle receiving feedback? And how do we handle giving feedback? I know that's one of the areas that I've had to work on to make sure that I could receive feedback. Because a lot of times we get into our defensive mode. We know what we know, and we mm-hmm. know it more than most people. And, and, and so. That's one area that I see that I've worked on in, in terms of transparency and, and being able to inspect and adapt and really having great respect for, for others. What about you guys? Yeah, for, for me, it's been uh, – I'm a lot more relaxed. Uh, having managed a lot of projects using a more traditional approach, it's your head on the block all the time, 24-7, lots of pressure. I don't mind the pressure. I kind of feed off of that sometimes. But the point is you can't know everything. And there's no way of not making a mistake somewhere. And in this, in a, in a scrum situation, I, I facilitate self-organization and the team carries it. Uh, we just recently got a new QA lead and, um, I took a, li- it's been taking a little while and he's getting used to the scrum environment, but I told him, uh, that we fail or we succeed as a team. There's no one person here responsible for failing. Uh, and I think that was a, that was a revelation for him. It's in it kind of summarizes my initial my initial response to this question. It's made me more relaxed and uh, given me even more confidence in self organization and the power of teams. Yeah, that's uh, my experience has been very similar. That uh, in traditional pro- coming from traditional project management environments, it's a very kind of a top down kind of a thing. Uh, it's typically in some within some kind of a command and control structure. Uh, you are given marching orders to take the hill, um, <laughs> and uh, you either and if you don't take the and if you you don't take the hill despite the casualties, um, there will be a, a new sergeant in your place next week. Uh, will <clears throat> so yeah, changing changing that whole kind of a thing, and, and also like you said, uh, changing the perspective that the that the team succeeds or, or fails together, uh, that it's not all on one person. You're not looking at it. It's like, what, what are this person's individual performance scores? No, you look at the output of the exactly. team. 
So those are those are fundamental changes that that uh, <clears throat> that I've I've taken, and I think that those were kind of maybe more innate in my personality, yeah. uh, and that it, it probably all along would have suited me better yeah. than uh, the traditional project management approach. Um, and I'm just lucky I stumbled onto this. So. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, um, I said that I, I've probably been taking more chances outside of that, and I think it's true. Like doing this podcast was one example, or, or other things I'm doing within the the organization here. Uh, the next topic that we're coming up on is, is road mapping, and I took a lot of chances with the exercises. Um, in that case, probably I wouldn't have taken those exercises had I not been exposed to like these types of values that, that you're talking about. Yeah, and, and, and just when you think of I say the wisdom of team versus the yeah. wisdom of crowds because we, we work in teams mm-hmm. as, as being able to rely on others to help you to be successful or the success is really sh- is a shared um, reward for everyone who's participating. So I, I think that that is, is important, you know, of how it helps to change us in our thinking and our behaviors and our attitudes toward other people. Excellent. Um, is there any reading that you can point us to research, whether it's yours or someone else's that you've got on this? We can include it in the show notes if there's um, something. One place that you could find um, my research that I did last year is called The Value of Scrum to Organizations. Uh, it's located right now on Scrum Alliance. There's, there's a, an article that I wrote for them which points to that research. And so it covers some of these concepts in there. But there will be a, a brand new research that's coming out this year that I'm putting out nice. th- that answers these questions based on the input of, of uh, 12 individuals who are practicing agility in multiple levels. Awesome. Really great topic. Thanks, Thanks. Dr. Dave. Thank you. Um, so go to the show notes for a link to the value of Scrum to Organizations by Dr. Dave Cornelius. The next topic we have up here is one that I threw up uh, onto the threw onto a card, I should say. I didn't actually vomit or anything. Um, <laughs> and it's that of road mapping. We've got at, at the organization I'm at and probably at just about every organization across the universe, um, the concept of putting together the road map for the year. And um, uh, we just went through that process. Uh, my... I'm in a little bit of a different situation this time around because we had a, uh, a leadership change. Actually, uh, our CTO vacated the position in November, and then um, we were looking to um, to fill that void. We haven't put in – well, we're putting an interim CTO in now, but at the time we didn't have one. So the VP uh, asked me to kind of spearhead the process. So I thought, wow, we've got this sales pipeline already made. They've got the sales end and the product owners even have their vision of the roadmap, but the VP is asking me from a from a technical point of view, what is it that the technical teams would like to have on the roadmap? So I thought, first of all, let's get together, not everyone, but like the leads of the teams, um, the QA people, uh, some management representatives, some DevOps people, uh, Scrum Masters certainly, and, uh, and some other interested parties, get them in a room, and we did what's called a lean coffee, which is what we're doing here. Uh, It was brand new to them, but with 20 or so people in the room, we had uh, the boardroom filled up with, um, you know, people with Sharpie markers and index cards, and they just wrote out what are the issues that, to them as technologists, they would like to address in the coming year. Um, Forget all the features and the things that the sales team wants. What is it that we need to do 
so that we can meet these other objectives of sales and, and marketing. Um, so really great stuff came out of that. Uh, we had like a 90-minute session, and we didn't get we didn't dive deep into every topic, but we did a lot of affinity mapping. Once they all threw their cards on the table, we could see, wow, a lot of people are talking about what we ended up calling tech debt uh, from one mm-hmm. angle or another. And we got to dive into some of the top few topics first. Um, and then a later meeting, we included all of the devs together, and, you know, they were dreading that. What are we doing here for a roadmapping meeting? But what we did was we made it uh, very interactive, and I used what's called the six thinking hats, uh, which came out of the book by Edward de Bono. And he's got um, six hats uh, of different colors, and for each hat you walk through a different phase of thinking. So uh, I believe it goes uh, blue is process hat, um, white is the facts, the data hat. Red is emotional. How do we feel? Yellow is all the uh, the good points or values or benefits. Um, black are all the risks and the bad points, uh, both very logical, the good and the bad, the yellow and the hat. Um, and then finally, we had the green hat of creativity. So, so I put um, each of these posters, each of the hats on a different poster, and I talked about the hats. And I had the teams break into groups of like three or four, and they went around and and wrote on different posters, um, like the top ten um, things that came out of the the lean coffee, the top ten topics, and they addressed them from very um, kind of formulaic uh, from this structure of the six thinking hats, and it worked out really well. So I know long explanation, but I wanted to just share that with with you guys and see if you've used either of these in the road mapping context, or if you've uh, used anything differently for road mapping. Well, for me, I've used, um, I know Lean Coffee hinges a lot of its principles from the KJ method, which is called affinity diagramming mm-hmm. or, or the affinity process. So we use similar in, in terms of the KJ method to collect ideas for, for teams to put them up on the board, do a review, a walkthrough, come back down um, and establish more ideas, and then build affinity diagrams. So that is a, a very interesting and, and very interactive way to allow people to collaborate freely. I haven't used the six thinking hats, but I know I, I plan to use it now okay. that you brought it up as we're as I'm building some new curriculum around the, the concepts of um, start a business startup models. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that you have to, to do is, is some type of uh, brainstorming. And so, you know, lean coffee and just really looking at what are the key, uh, the key critical problems that you have to identify. I, I believe that the six thinking hats will give people an opportunity not only to think with their heads, but also with their hearts and on their eyes to see exactly, you know, where they're going. How, how would that impact them? And it would be interesting to see exactly when you finish with your roadmap, how do you really validate um, the, what, what we call delivering the promise, right? Because a roadmap is a great promise of we're going to provide some value, but it's always going back and see, did we actually de- deliver those value to the organization? Yeah, exactly. Um, so what we're doing in our case is we're taking the, the technology roadmap 
that we've gone through with these exercises, and our vice president wanted us to uh, to do that so he could bring it back to the the sea levels and kind of merge it. And that's what ended up happening is we merged it with um, with the sales pipeline, and we did a little. He did mostly the negotiations on our behalf, and and we came up with something that the technology department could live with in terms of you know we're still going to attack these these uh, issues and the sales and marketing team could live with as well. There's one more thing that I wanted to add is mm-hmm. it, it, that when you think of the Scale Agile framework, one of the different uh, epics runway is really talking about architecture. And, and, and it was really excellent to see that, that companies, most companies are like, oh, we don't want to spend any money mm-hmm. on technology. We don't want to spend any money on architecture. Mm-hmm. And you wonder why you have poor performance yeah, with your exactly. customers. And, and so I, I think that is a great value add. And, for other people to take this as an example of of how can we kind of like crowds do some kind of crowdsourcing mm-hmm. uh, to come up with, with new ideation of, of solving uh, technical debt and, and architectural values that the organization really truly needs. Yeah, well, that brings us to the end of this card. If you have anything to uh, to say about road mapping or, or lean coffee or six thinking hats, any other exercises you might have used, please reach out to us with the hashtag on Twitter, tell Agile Coffee, and let us know. Anything that we mention, of course, will be in the show notes. For this episode, you can go to agilecoffee.com slash episode 22. Our next topic we have, Dale wrote, techniques for remote retros. Yeah, I'm facing a situation where I'm going to be conducting uh, the first retro for this team, and they're highly distributed. Half the team is here uh, locally uh, in an office, and probably about half the, the rest of the half of the team uh, is remote. And this is a large team. It's, they're, they're, it's Kanban, so they're not restricted to scrum team sizes. Total people participating in this retro could be almost 30 Mm. <clears throat> and so, yeah, roughly a dozen or so of them are going to be uh, in Asia, and uh, the other uh, half will will be uh, here local. So I was looking for some techniques, mostly because most of the ones that I'm familiar with are when you've got everybody in a room mm-hmm. and you can use – uh, three by five cards and sticky notes and uh, dot voting and that sort of thing uh, to to elicit the the feedback for the retros and vote on what what are the important things in that. Mm-hmm. But if any of you guys uh, conducted retros with partially or wholly remote teams, and what are some good techniques? Yeah, I could give you a whole different spin on that in in, in terms of tools and, and, and tips. Um, one thing that we do in, in the Scale Agile framework is, is that we have this release train planning event. Mm-hmm. And in the organization that I work for, you know, we every quarter we, we host one of these events where we're collecting requirements, similar to, to retrospective in, in a context that we have multiple touch points. So we use a tool, a tool like, I'll, I'll just call it a Zoom, zoom.us. We use that as, as a way to connect with people, make sure that we have open collaboration. We could actually record each session. And, and then there are other tools that we may use, things like um, Trello, mm-hmm. Kanban Flow, um, the, the other Agile Zen, I believe, is, I believe it's called. And so we use those type of tools to run um, the, the activity of interacting and collaborating you know, through the process. So you could take any of the, the, the retrospective activities 
and and be able to have the same level of interaction because with Zoom is really cool. I was just doing this this morning with mm. two other guys where we have a meeting, pop up your camera, you have your board up. So everyone could see what's going on. We were talking to each other. So you could have true interaction and collaboration as if you're in the same room and pick a technique. I know you like gripes and hypes, so mm-hmm. um, Vic, so you could use gripes and hype as, as one example of, mm-hmm. of doing that. Or you may look at happy face, sad face, thank you, and questions. That's another uh, four-quadrant mm-hmm. uh, type um, exercise that you right. can do. So there's many different ways. And with a modern technology, you know, having distributed teams, it's a lot easier when you could have a, a great collaboration tool where – you could really inspire learning, and and it's really important, especially when you have teams. And I experienced this with teams in China and Australia and India, mm-hmm. and so on and so forth, where we are all interacting using these tools, and it's been really, really effective because it's nothing like being able to look at someone in their eye, call them by their name, ask them why do you feel this way, or why why are you having that experience, and being able to capture that on video as well and have people go back and, and have it as a playback. So that's that's has been my experience with, with doing any type of uh, remote retro. And don't forget to set up a survey that you can also actually get additional feedback uh, in the process as well. I love that. Um, this is a great question. Yeah, I know I'm going to have to do some uh, uh, advanced work and sending out some questions in advance to try yeah. to get some of those those remote people to uh, uh, offer suggestions and, and get some voting done in advance. So, um, I mean, there's so many challenges with working with remote teams to begin with, yeah. um, whether they're a mile away or on the other side of the world, um, you know, just not having them face-to-face. And for a retro also, um, it's just a, a more – engaging type of meeting where you want that trust and you want that openness and transparency. You want to be able to read people's body language as well. So I think having that visual, whether it's uh, using Zoom US or any of these other tools, is is very important. Um, you know, you uh, Dave, you had mentioned uh, a couple of techniques, you know, the four quadrants, um, hypes and gripes. There's also um, like Speedboat is another yep. kind of tool that people use. I use... Um, for retros, not necessarily remote retros, but I use uh, something called the the emotional seismograph, which uh, that? Yep. yeah, Diana Larson introduced to me, and and I'm wondering how you can do that remote. I'm not sure there is a tool for doing that specific, and I'd love to have one written that specific um, exercise remotely because you know that over over the span of a sprint, you'll you'll have like the the ebbs and flows of happiness, right? Um, people peak. Uh, when things are going well, or they valley out when things are just abysmal, and I like to have that as a record for my retros anyway, and, and use that to gather data points. Um, but if you could find, if we could find a way to do something like that, I'd be all in on, on using. Well, we something could like that. take any of the electronic Kanban boards and kind of like set that up, right? It, yeah. It's not exactly the same, you know, view that you may have, but if you set up your your different columns, yeah, I to think represent what spread how. You know, you know, emotionally. I mean, sometimes you could even take pictures, have them mm-hmm. draw it on their wall, take pictures, and fire that back in. Mm-hmm. So that, that's some of the other ways that we have leveraged, um, you know, the, these type of remote-type inter- interactions to capture information. Yeah, I think some exercises work better than others is, yeah. is I guess, my point there um, for that. But have, do you work with remote teams? Oh, like yes, all, yeah. all the time. Um, what we did was a very simple approach. Um, we had a uh, conference room with a whiteboard, big whiteboard. So I um, organized my uh, my grid, 
and then we called them in through Skype and uh, zoomed in on the grid, and we just talked yeah. that way. It was what, very what, what grid? Oh, I, I, we did the uh, the retrospective where you go, um, what are you, uh, what are we doing that we want to keep doing? What are we doing? Want to do less of? And and what are we doing that we don't want to do anymore? And yeah. so the pluses, I, deltas, yeah, exactly. Start, and start, I, stop, keep, yeah, start, yeah. stop, keep thing. Yeah. And then I threw in the last one. I, I picked up two somewhere. Is um, what puzzles you? Because I wanted to know yeah. what 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 areas of training do we maybe need you know to that's do? that's interesting too it's the same question but it's just different wording what puzzles you yeah, yeah. makes people think of it in a different way yes right? yeah exactly yeah this is really interesting that you're asking the same three questions or four questions right. but you're just creating a different context and the yeah. brain somehow thinks like oh that's new and interesting but we're really yeah. just asking the same question right yeah it causes people to think of it in a different way which yeah. is interesting yeah uh, we had a great time. Uh, I didn't. I wasn't able to physically see the other two participants, but they felt really quite engaged, and they yeah. they told us what we should put on the board for them, and we posted it. And they, so we we had a good time. It was I, I'd say probably one of our best retrospectives ever. And it was very inexpensive, just using Skype and a and a video camera. Yeah, yeah. The, the feedback that I've received from from these teams is that. Because they could see your face and you could they could hear your voice yeah. and they could see some of the other interactive tools, um, it has made a great difference in, in terms of their engagement. Last word on that? I'm good. Okay. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Yep. All right. We've got a few more cards left. Um, Dr. Dave, you've got a card that says Scrum Master, the leader, getting things done through people. Other things are on your card. Why don't you talk us through that? Well, the whole concept comes from the book by James C. Hunter, The Servant, a simple story about the true essence of leadership. So one of the concepts is that leaders get things done through people by influencing their behaviors, um, empowering them. And one, one of the other concepts is that if you have a scrum master that is too task-driven and he hasn't built a relationship with the people uh, on his team, well, what will happen? Mm. Well, one, one thing is that everyone will be running in the other direction because you, you essentially has the same command and control patterns that we had before um, in the traditional project manager. However, it's just been transferred over to someone with a new title called a scrum master. Yeah. And the absence of relationship with the team members and simple things like, hey, how's your day going today? And the building the balance between that and saying that, well, you don't have to commit to anything. So there's a delicate balance between the tasks or, or stories that has to be delivered and the relationship that you have with the team. Because we know trust is one of the most important factors that allow teams to work together, to collaborate, to take certain risks. And the, 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 the idea is... is how do we as a scrum master build that balance in to our teams or even as a leader, how do we build that into our teams where we allow them to do the work that they want to commit to or they need to commit to and also get to the point where we have a great relationship with them, that it's driven by their idea of taking on the next user story or setting up the next series of tasks or even getting to the point where Things are done in advance, and they're standing up and saying, me, 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 I'll take on the next task. Yeah. So how do you build that as a scrum master 
uh, are really influencing people because that's truly what leadership is, isn't it? And, mm-hmm. and so the context is, where's the balance? How do we balance that out so that you're not a pansy where nothing gets done, yeah. but you're not a taskmaster on the other hand mm-hmm. either? And I, I see that scrum masters have both personalities. So you have to be somewhere in the middle of how do you straddle that. And it's not just a scrum master. It's a leadership issue, actually. Yep. Yep. Context. The way I see it is, um, or what I try to do is, I I, I assume that the developer that I'm working with or the team member wants to develop software. Uh, A baker wants to bake bread. I've never met a baker that didn't want to bake bread. I lived in Europe for a long time, and I know butchers just love making their meat. They, They die to not do it. And a developer wants to develop software, so I don't need to encourage him to do his job. What I do need to do is encourage him as an individual, encourage the team. And the more I find I encourage the, the team and the team member, the more he's going to want to develop software. He'll give me extra effort without me even asking for extra effort if I build a good trust relationship. And the buy-in to the product is really quite simple. They don't uh, Developers generally don't resist the the product, if you will, the product that they're developing. They're going, this is a stupid product. They They might say that. Uh, but they really get behind it. And the more you build them up as individuals, the more you build them up as a team, the more confidence you can instill in them, the, the, the better their performance because they want to develop their software or bake their bread or butcher their meat. Yeah, great point. I no, I've, yeah, I've, I've, I've faced a, uh, a few environments where they've, there's been an expectation that the Scrum Master is going to be this. Uh, you know, it's like, no, I, I need you to make them do things. Uh, exactly, and I just don't even uh, listen to and that. And I need you to yeah, like, hit, their, you may hit their dates um, and, and, and that sort of thing. So, yeah, that's, uh, that, that could be a struggle in some organizations, just balancing what the expectation is going to be of a traditional project manager versus a Scrum Master. Um, uh, and and how to lead people in that role, like you said, without uh, uh, getting things done at the same time, um, you know, uh, doing it in in a non-aggressive way. Yeah. But but it's interesting that you brought that up. That the expectation is still there that a scrum master, who, who's really his real true role, is to help the teams get better at the practice, the process, oh, yes, and absolutely. practice of scrum. It's not to do a task. So it's interesting that that continues f- forward, that everyone is expecting us to still drive things. you got to drive things better. Get it done. And that attitude still mm-hmm. persists. How do we flip that up to the top? It does persist. And I think, I think you hit the nail on the head before. I mean, that transition, you have to get it right between going from a project manager mentality to a a scrum master, or maybe to a PO. Either way, um, when you when you do that transformation in an organization, those traditional PMP by the book project managers, they start sweating. They're like, "Oh, what's this mean for me? Am I out of a job?" Uh, no, you just have to like use different skills to get things done. Now, yes, exactly. um, Larry, I, I, like I said, I thought when you said the workers want to do the work, they want to craft something yeah, that they're proud of. So, the force so you just leverage job. that. You just um, you know you leverage that, but. You know, I was I was in a situation um, at a previous employer where I was I was an agile coach and, and we did a transformation, a Scrum transformation, and I thought it was going well. And then we we changed leadership. I think we were on our second or third VP of engineering, and then they wanted to change all the Scrum master titles to technical project manager. Oh boy, right? Oh, and that was the beginning of the end for the me. The I was like, exactly. okay, well, 
I'm going to take the title. I have no choice. I mean, I could walk out right now, but um, but while I was there for the next year or so, I thought, how can I steer the ship to get things done like they want it, but still treat the teams with the respect that they deserve and and, and follow the scrum values and principles and agile principles. And it was uh, it was very challenging. Um, yeah, because I'm, I'm sure that that title came with expectations. Oh, yeah. It was, it was absolutely. beyond <laughs> what the expectations of a scrum master would be. It was an overnight sea change for me. I was, yeah. like, scrambling to figure out, okay. It's not just a title. Yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, one thing I would like to say is that I'll, I'll send out another link mm-hmm. that's um, for some research called The PM Role in the Lean and Agile World, mm-hmm. which really talks mm-hmm. about how can you transport go through the transformation and what roles are available. I'll make sure that's a, a, available to you. Cool. All right. We've got a, another topic coming up, which um, which sounds very similar. Maybe, maybe not. Um, Larry, you wrote, what makes a good scrum coach? Yeah, you know, I, we were talking about this before we began the recording today, and it was something that really got my mind going. Uh, we have a, a good idea based on this conversation uh, what a good scrum master should be we've also talked uh not necessarily today or in these sessions about uh, a good product owner but uh, a, a coach uh, it's a it's a level up not necessarily more more responsibility but it's a little more removed from the team and i thought it'd be interesting to know what a coach what makes a good coach over against the scrum master is he more of a even more of a mentor kind of a guy? Is he more of a evangelist kind of a guy, or does he still encourage the teams or the scrum masters? How how does he do his work? I I agree that there's there's quite a bit of overlap, and and I probably want to say that the term coach is is very vague and not quite defined as well as uh, scrum master is. I mean, with scrum master, we've got the with the scrum alliance, we've got the CSM, the certified scrum master. Um, so you know pretty clearly. Um, what is expected of a scrum master. Um, you've got the – it's one of the three roles in, in the foundational, the core scrum. It's been written about quite extensively, whereas coach coach could take on those roles of being a scrum master, but they could also be seen as kind of being the – like the coach of scrum masters or or the coach of the POs. Um, it, can, it can go across an organization mm-hmm. or even a community, I think. Uh, maybe there's more mentoring and training involved that a scrum master isn't necessarily called upon to do. Um, maybe there's some organizational thinking, bits of psychology that goes into it that a scrum master may not be equipped to uh, handle. Maybe they haven't been through those kinds of trainings or educational um, courses themselves. Um, so so I think that there's it's a meaty topic that you can get into, but I'll throw it back out to the table and see what other people have to say. I would say what makes a good scrum coach is uh, adopting the concept of being a servant leader, Mm -hmm. uh, really recognizing that their role is is really to serve the stakeholders within the organization and help them arrive at a destination that they may or may not be aware of. (laughs) Because oftentimes they said, well, I want to go north, but really, you really want to go northeast because Mm -hmm. that's the best fit for you. And I think that's where the good value of, of a scrum coach comes into play. And it's not, you know, yes, it's about the process and the principles and the values. But m- moreover, it's about moving people in a direction where they could really produce the best value that they can. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and to me, that's the attitude and the mindset. So 
I think a scrum master could be a great coach, mm-hmm. but also there's this what I call an uber scrum master, <laughs> which is really the, the organizational level coach who may come in and work with the CEOs and yeah. give them different ideas right. and, and techniques of, of how do we walk through this transformation? What does it really mean? But I think it's also crossing that chasm, right? Mm-hmm. Because you, you have part of the organization who will be in the traditional mode of operation, and then you have part of the uh, organization that's already have made this transformation to become mm-hmm. more lean and practice agility. So it's how do you help them to cross that chasm and really either coexist right. and yeah, really work functionally well. And I think that's where a good coach comes into play, yeah. of really helping to shift and change behaviors. Yeah, I see. I agree with that uh, completely. The coach has more of a responsibility to the organization yeah. um, to help cross the chasm or fill in other other deficiencies of the organization, whereas a scrum master is focused on the team, team. first and foremost. Yes, and hopefully exactly. you've only got one team, but maybe you've got more than one team. And as as it permits, you can kind of get involved. The scrum master can get involved with different levels of the organization, but really it has to come back to, are you serving your team? Yeah. Um, but yeah, the coach, I, I'd agree. An Uber scrum master sounds like a really good description for something like that. So the scrum master focuses on the team and the, uh, the uh, coach focuses on the organization. Would you call it? Would would you make that separation as clean or not so in, much? In in a, I, I think that that's probably a popular accepted uh, <clears throat> concept in in Scrum environments. When you start getting out of environments <clears throat> that are using Scrum, if they're using some other framework or if they're using the Kanban method or something like that. Uh, then the, the what 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 is defined as an agile coach is is up for grabs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's it can be entirely dependent on the organization. But it would be interesting to 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 build a comparison of how do you compare a scrum coach with a coach uh, with a oh, corporate inter- coach, right? They, they kind of have mm-hmm. some of the same feely, touchy aspects to them that they're really similar. If you could actually build that that relationship between the two mm-hmm. and and I kind of see that if you truly have an agile coach mm-hmm. it becomes more of an organizational coach mm-hmm. and from working with other coaches on, on the corporate level, I see that they have a lot of similarities in, 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 in the value that they bring to the organization right you can open it up and compare it agile coaches to things like um, career coaches yep. uh, sports coaches yep. you know personal coaches. You know, just the sky's the limit. There's the ICF, the uh, International Coaching Federation, I think it is, and, and other coaching alliances that that bring in coaches from all aspects, all industries, really? and they compare notes. I haven't been to one yet, but I've been meaning to go. It's one of my one of my goals for the year is to make it to uh, an ICF organization uh, meeting. Um, and yeah, what are the traits of just coaches at a base level that can be applied to to agile? Um, how do you become a coach if you're a scrum master or or not? You know, what are the steps needed to evaluate yourself? Would I make a good coach? What skills do I have? What do I need to develop to become a coach? Um, lots of great stuff out there. And um, Lisa Adkins has the book Coaching Agile Teams. That's a really good place to start if you're not familiar with um, you know coaching in general. That's that's one of the foundation book foundational books that um, that I often go back to. All right. Well, that just about wraps up our conversations for today. Thanks again, gentlemen, for being here. And um, 
hope that you can come and join us again. And everyone who's listened, thank you for listening. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Angel Coffee.